Has fear stopped you from being happy? I mean, truly happy. Our special guest today, Max Naist, shares how he found happiness after hitting rock bottom again, again, and again. Stay tuned for his inspiring journey. You won't want to miss it. Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And I invite you to connect with me with all of my social media links there, like YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And today, our guest is the incredible Max Naist. Welcome to the show, Max. Oh, Shay, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. And I just have to give a, a quick shout out to Steve, right? Steve introduced us. Correct. Steve Gamlin. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so glad he did. Yes. And that just, just put a reminder that I need to reach out to him to get him on the show as well. <laughs> so I love it. I love it that you got, got you snuck in before him. So we won't tell yes. him. Right. No. <laughs> we won't tell him. We won't. Well, thank you for being here. And for those of you who don't know, Max Nace is went from being in the Navy to being a published author and podcaster. The name of his book is called Fearless Happiness, My Battles, My Addiction, My Recovery. And he has a podcast under the same name as Fearless Happiness. Also, he is a substance abuse counselor for the past 13 years. And you can find out more information about uh, Max at his website at maxnaced.com. And we'll have those in the show notes, of course. So, Max, I always start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Well, I love that question. And first, though, I want to say thank you for having me on your on your podcast, Shay. I mean, everybody, Shay's episode is coming on to my podcast very shortly. We had a great conversation. So that's a great question because that's what I do. If, you know, as a substance abuse counselor, that's what I do on a daily basis. And what it means to me is helping. When I invest into someone, it doesn't mean that I'm going to tell them what to do. Hmm. What it means for me is that I'm going to show them maybe different avenues to overcome a challenge and then leave that up to them to come up with their own plan on how to achieve their goals. So it, to me, it mean to me, it means many things. Being a coach means being a counselor, uh, being a mentor, being a friend, being, you know, 
someone who guides someone to find their path and what do we call life, you know, and, and for what I do in their recovery to going from someone who is, you know, addicted, who may be homeless, who has been in and out of jail or prison to switching that into, you know, someone who's an active member of society who Mm -hmm. has turned their life around and now has their family back in their life, you know, so that there's, there's many meanings to me, but that's probably the one I go with the most. Hmm, I love that. So what I'm, I'm kind of hearing is you're, you're a guide, right? You're a guide to really just love on and speak life into people who have um, gone through some sort of addiction. So typically, because I know with my own addiction story of being sober for 22 years now, so most times people who are recovery counselors, substance abuse recovery counselors have a past, (laughs) have experience, (laughs) have experience in the, in the area. So, so tell us that journey and how, where you started and how you got where you are now. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to try to tell you in a condensed version because it could take up two hours of this podcast, if not longer. But September 27th of next month, I will celebrate 18 years clean and sober. Mm, Congratulations. You know, where it all started for me, you know, and I think as I look back and as you know, like I had the isms growing up. Like, you know, the people that you hear uh, say, like, you know, I felt alone in a room full of people. Like, Mm. I felt like that, you know, I felt like the guy that never fit in. And when I look back on my life, like in high school, I got along well with the stoners. I got along with all the heavy metal people. I got along. You know what I mean? It was like I was trying to find my way, but still felt like I didn't fit in, even though I was a jock. I was a heavy metaler and I smoked weed and all that good stuff that went with you know, experimentation, but, you know, back in high school is where it started really getting bad. You know, at 13, I always like to share that, you know, at 13, I went to a party and I didn't get home till I was 32. And, you know, it started with marijuana, you know, and then, but high school is where it started taking off where, you know, drinking marijuana, uh, junior year, started experimenting with cocaine by my senior year, full on cocaine addict, you know, didn't realize what that was though. Cause I, you know, I didn't know. And so one of the things I learned was from my mother's like, you're not going to lay around like you do all day. You got some choices to make, right? You're either going to work full-time, you're going to go to school full-time or you're going to work part-time and go to school. But if you're not going to do any of that, you're, you can't be here. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and this was after a hard night of partying. So I, uh, That next day, I went to a recruiter and I signed up for the Navy. And I joined the Navy at 18, right? I had a two-week break. I went to Hawaii, which was my gift for graduation. You know, my mom matched whatever I did. And I went with a couple of buddies, had a great time, partied, of course. Came home and then joined the Navy. Went to boot camp in San Diego. You know, and it's funny. It's like you don't realize the the warning signals when you're in it, right? Like, because I remember graduating from boot camp and me and my friend went to the bar on base right in San Diego where at the time it was the drinking age was 18 as long Mm -hmm. as you were on base and Mm -hmm. him and I drank like I don't even think we slept and then I was on watch the next day or that next night and I'm trying to stay awake you know and not get in trouble but I didn't realize that 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 was one of the you know, the red flags I should have been paying attention to. And then, you know, I got in trouble when I was in the service, when I was on my ship, I I tested positive for cocaine because 
I lived in California, right? So I, I went to boot camp, which is two hours away from my home, mm-hmm. right? And then I went, the farthest I went while in my, during my time in the Navy was Treasure Island near San Francisco. So I was there for 90 days. <laughs> here's another, so here's another thing, right? That when I arrived at Treasure Island, that week was fleet week, mm-hmm. which is a big, you know, all the officers stay on board ship. They give, you know, tours and, you know, they show people the ship while all the enlisted get to go out in town. And so on one of the piers, I got to watch Stevie Ray Vaughan, one of his last concerts ever before he passed away, right? Free concert, all the beer I could drink free. So I'm thinking this is what military life's like. I'm 18 years old. I get to drink all I want, you know, but I ended up graduating from, from that school you know, top of my top 5% of the class. And I remember they did this thing called the dream sheet, which Mm. they just want to see where you would like to go, but they don't guarantee it. Right. Mm. So I filled out this sheet and like, I think the closest port to my home was Hawaii. Like I put Spain, I put Portugal, I put these places I've never been to. Right. So the day I graduate, we get our orders. Right. And what does it say? I had to laugh. It says you're going to Long Beach, California, which was 20 (laughs) minutes from my house. So going back to, I mean, you're still in California. You haven't moved at all being in the military. Absolutely. Right. You know, and uh, the reason I joined at that time, those commercials that, you know, they were really cool. They would show the pilots. Right. Mm -hmm. And what was that movie was out? You know what I mean? Top Gun. Top Gun came (laughs) out. Right. You know, and the commercials always said, it's not just a job. It's an adventure. And right. Right. Show the fleet. out. So I'm thinking, cool, I'm going to go somewhere far. I'm going to, I'm going to travel the world. So I called my mom. I said, Hey mom, don't, don't pack my room up yet. <laughs> she's all wise. She goes, I go, I'm coming home. I got stationed in Long Beach and she's all, what happened to this is just not just a job. It's an adventure. And I'm like, right. So you figure I went back into the frying pan. So I'm going back into the environment that literally I got out of because I knew if I didn't, I was going to get into some big trouble. And that's when I got in trouble on board ship. They test. That's when, See, in 1986 was the first year it was zero tolerance drugs, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. and you'd walk on board ship, they'd have two dogs sniff your bags, and then they direct you to go pee, you know, over here, because you're going to do a urinalysis. And well, I tested positive one time. And so fast, you know, I ended up getting honorably discharged from the service, right? I hurt my ankle for the third time. And they were like, yeah, you're not fit for ship duty. So they, they put me on the Long Beach Naval Station till I got out. You know, and that's where I would meet my now ex-wife and, you know, we'd have our first child. And, you know, when I found out I was having my first child, I mean, that day I was a two pack a day smoker. I threw my cigarettes away and I quit smoking. Mm. Right. And, and I quit doing everything else except maybe drinking. And I wasn't even drinking heavy. Right. Because I was excited. I'm having a child. Right. But that wouldn't last too long. So you know, those isms I was telling you about started getting worse and worse. And, you know, it was, you know, three children later and a fourth from a, from an ex-girlfriend, right? Like my addiction is getting bad. Like, you know, when I went through my divorce, I didn't have the tools or the support and I'm not blaming anybody, but I just didn't know, you know, I didn't know who to reach out to. Right. Like, you know, my mom was married three times, you know, I wasn't really close with my uncles and, and aunts who have been married for a very long time, you know, like I didn't really, it was that whole thing. I feel like I didn't even fit into my whole own family. You know what I mean? And so after our divorce is when it really started getting bad, right? The drinking to me at that time wasn't working anymore. So I got introduced to meth, 
you know, and I can go into stories how mm-hmm. that happened, right? You know, and I started using the needle and, you know, it just, it got so bad that I would, at the nine years of my worst use, you know, I want to call it like, I wouldn't even see my children and they could literally mm-hmm. say, be in the house next door, right? Right. That, that guilt and shame that you and I have talked about would be so bad that I'd either wait till they were asleep mm-hmm. and head out. Or I'd wait till they've gone to school the next day. And then, so I didn't have to see my ex, you know what I mean? And it just got really, really bad. And, you know, I started getting in trouble with the law, you know, first it's minor things. And then I got my felony and what happens. And I talk about it in my book is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in front of the same judge who has tried to give me multiple chances. You know what I mean? Like the, the easiest thing, I couldn't even do that. And then they have this thing back then it was called prop 36, which is similar to what drug court is now, right? You had to go through so many months and prove that you were staying sober and do, you know, pay your fines. I didn't even do that. Wow. <clears throat> so I'm sitting in, in, you know, I'm, I'm in jail doing a probation violation, right? I spent the first five days in LA County twin towers and Orange County, the, the good sheriff's department that they are, came and got me, brought me to Orange County. <laughs> and there was that process. And, you know, here's what, what changed for me. And, and you know, I, I'm going through some things. Because before I would give my mom, like, those empty promises. You know, I promise I'll do this, right? So she comes and visit me. I think it was a weekend or two weeks in. And she reaches for the phone, doesn't even let me speak, looks through the glass and tells me, look, Max, I love you. And her thick Dutch accent, like, I love you, son, but you're no longer welcome at my house. Mm. If you come near my home, I will call the police. If Mm. the neighbors see you and I'm not around, they're going to call the police. So what are you going to do? And, you know, little did I know that this answer would be one of those first changes I made. I told her, I don't know. I, I really, I had no answer. Like, I'm looking at three years in prison and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I didn't give her the usual empty promises of I'll get a job. I'll do better. You know, I'll find the grandkids so you can be a grandma, you know, Mm. like I'll be better. I gave her those so many times and I look across and she's crying and I'm like, why are you crying mom? And she, I go, I'm the one that gets to go back to the cell. You get to go home. And she goes, that was the best answer you've ever given me. Like she said it in Dutch. And I was like, Mm. You know what I mean? It made me think about it later. And then I would have, you know, other moments of clarity, you know, as I was sitting, waiting to find out where I was going to go, either prison or to a treatment facility or whatever, you know, and I remember, I I don't know, I'm going to be very open about this or, you know, language. I'm going to give you exactly what it was down. So I was sitting one night talking with my bunkmate. He was below me, right? I was just in my total poor me mode, right? Mm Self-pity to the 10th degree, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I'm, I'm bitching to him. I'm benching to him. And I tell him how much I love my kids and how this, this lady is babysitting my kids, which I had told it was a picture of my kids, right? It was a Christmas picture when you're that. And when I would go out, you know, in my addiction, I'd always, I had this friend that would always watch that picture for me. So she called it babysitting. Right. And, <laughs> and so I said, yeah, she's babysitting my kids, you know, and I'm telling you, I love them so much. And, and then there was a moment of silence, mm. right? And he goes, Max, or no, actually he goes, hey, homie, if you love your kids so much, what the fuck are you doing here? Mm. And I just went, you know, being in that 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 right. element, right? So I jumped down like, wow, this guy just disrespected me. Like, how dare he? 
Wow. And he, he jumped up and we're staring at each other and it came over me and I go, you know, that little voice in your brain that just goes, Max, he's, he's absolutely right. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, you're right. And we gave each other a hug, you know, instead mm-hmm. of fighting each other, which we're that close to doing. Right. I go, I go, you're absolute. You're like, you couldn't be more right on any level, you know, on all levels, you were correct. And, you know, little did I know that was my mind changing. Like I was done. Right. And then I would go through the court processes. You know, I remember like, finally I'm about a month or two in, you know, and I'm on probation. So the judge knows I'm not going anywhere. No one can bail me out. Cause when you're on a probation violation, it's a no bail warrant. But so the first one was this place, you know, it's, it's pretty, what's it called? Phoenix house. Right. So, but when you're in jail, you hear from all these jailhouse lawyers and, you know, mm. people in there, like, you don't want to go there, bro. They sit you in a circle, you know, and you have to sit in the middle while they bash you and you mm. can't say a word and they can say whatever they want. So the judge says, we'll send you there. And I'm like, no, your honor, like, excuse me. <laughs> I wouldn't send me there, Your Honor, unless you want me to have a new charge, right? And he's like, looks at me like, okay, I'll see you later. Like, I'm done. Like, he doesn't really even want to, right? So, second one, he does the same thing. I'm about four months in. So, I'm going to send you to this place called the Hope House. The Hope House has timeout bench. So, I raise my hand. like, no, Your Honor, like, timeout, that's something I give my kids. You know, at at the time, my public defender is like, you're an idiot. Like, you're you're like... (laughs) You're an idiot, bro. Like, he's trying to help you here. And I go, I'm not going no timeout bench, right? You know what I mean? I want to fight this guy. Well, fast forward about five months in, I find I get a new public defender. And I had met this guy who says, look, they consider this place where I'm at, like, sober living slash treatment, because we do do a group on Saturday. So he goes, all you got to do is stay out of trouble, stay clean, pay your rent, and they'll leave you alone. And I'm like, okay, I can do that, right? So... My lawyer goes up to the, you know, with, cause when you're in that, you know, you always have the, the DA probation office and then your public defender and the judge, right? So they all go up there and talk. And this is coming from a judge who rarely gave second chances, right? Like mm-hmm. from what I heard after the fact that like he was that hard on, you know, right. <laughs> so they said, okay, I'm going to send you there. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, 60, 90 days, I'm going to be back to doing what I do best, right? Because I still haven't <laughs> changed my mindset <clears throat> Excuse uh-huh. me, on really wanting to be sober because I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what mm, 12 right. steps were. I didn't know what mm-hmm. recovery meant, right? Like I had no idea. So wait a minute, I'm just going to pause there. So you were in okay. other recovery houses and none of them had 12 steps? No, no, no. Like in that process before then, right? Like probation would send me, you need to go to meetings. So I would go to NA meetings, right? Most of the time back then, because I wasn't even ready, like I'd see someone I knew from the streets and they would be like, I'm here for the, like, meet me at my car. Right. And we'd end up going on a run. So I never had ever been to a facility or even knew what sober living was or treatment. You know what I mean? So, because I never followed through on the things that probation gave me to do or the judge. Okay. Right. So he says, I'll send you. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. And then he goes, but I'm going to send you there for a year. Mm-hmm. Like my eyes, like I'm ready to raise my hand again. And I, I tell myself, no, Max, keep your mouth shut. Right. Uh, he goes, if you slip up once, one millimeter, I'm going to send you to prison. I'm mm. like, oh, wow. He's not messing around. So 
right? I go into this place, like I said, what we just talked about, not knowing what recovery was about, not knowing what 12 steps were about. Yeah. I've never done it. Right. And, you know, I do pretty well, right? At first I get there, I, you know, I, I do what they ask me, but I'm not doing it fully. Like I'm not fully invested in it yet, right? Because mm. I'm just like, I'm just trying to get by, but I get a sponsor. I'm going to meetings every day. You know, I, I start working the steps with my sponsor. See, and you got to understand. So like, it's been nine years since I seen, have seen my children, right? So I had about six months wow. sober. Six months sober, I get a call, right? I'm at my first real job in recovery. I have my first cell phone and I'm going to the truck to get some tools. And I remember the, the lady going, is Max there? And I'm like, this is Max. And it was my ex. I didn't even recognize her voice. See, and a little backstory. When I got out of jail that time, I had been writing her saying, I want to see the kids, right? So six months have gone by. I haven't heard back from her. So I'm thinking, I get it, right? Like nine years is a long time to not participate in your kid's life or even be somewhat there, you know? So I'm, I'm kind of writing it off like, okay, God, this is my, this is the lot I drew, right? Yeah, And she says, hey, this is Susan. The kids want to see you. I live in San Diego. I just got your letters. Wow. I almost faint. Like, I almost faint, right? So at that time, I was like six months sober. My brother and I, who I'll talk about in a little bit, every weekend we head down to San Diego, Chula Vista area, right? Mm-hmm. We go see my kids. And I'm like, like I can't believe this is even how I'm telling my mom, look, I'm seeing the kids. I even brought, you know, they, they met my mom and me at her house. Right. And, um, everything's going smooth. And then a week shy of 10 months sober, I decided to go back to the old neighborhood because I'm going to get the homeboys sober. Right. I'm going to get, I'm super sober. I've never had this long. I can get them sober. Right. But which was pointed out by my sponsor later was like, you wanted to get loaded. And he's right. As I look back, because I didn't tell anybody, you know, I started Mm -hmm. slacking off in my program. I started isolating, not like really telling people. And I relapsed for the first time. I go on a three day bender and I'm just like, you know, they're ready to call my PO and say he disappeared. And, you know, I show back up at day three. I test positive. You know, four more relapses would follow. Wow. Yeah. And the last one was in the house. Like I got high in the house. Right. It was on a Sunday and, you know, the house manager came by and he knew he saw it in my eyes and he's like, Max in the office now. Right? I knew what he was going to do. He was going to test me. Right. And it was as soon as possible. He was going to call my PO, which he ha- would have had to do. So here's where I believe in a higher power or, you know what I mean? Divine intervention. Yeah. So that shortly after he left, you know, I, I go to change, you know, I'm getting where I'm looking in the mirror and I'm just having this moment where I see my life flash before me, right? Like I'm either going to die doing this or I'm going to be writing my family from prison, right? Like mm. I'm going to go to prison and I hear a knock at the door. Like, who could that be? Right? Like I told him, I'll be right there. It hasn't been that long. You know, I'm not like totally avoiding it. And it's the director. Her name was Sue. Mm. And I had become friends with her because I had been there for like 10 months. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I, she would take me to means with her. I got to meet her family. She would bring me to her house for barbecues. You know what I mean? Like I totally connected with her and she kind of took me under her wing and she didn't know. So she said, Oh, happy. Hey, Max, what happened? And, you know, before I could lie, I said, I did it again. And I'll never forget this. She gave me the biggest freaking hug and said, grab a bag, get in your car and leave come back in three days and test clean. I'll handle Steve. And I just looked at her like, what? Yeah. And I I took off 
And I've been sober ever since. Right. Cause to me, that was like, that lady wow. never came. She never came on weekends, let alone a Sunday. Right. Like she, when she did her nine to five Monday through Friday, that was it. Like she, you know, her weekends were her time with her cause she was a grandma. She was a mother. You know what I mean? So I just took it and ran, you know, that's why September 27th, you know, when I finally came back has been my clean and sober date ever since, you know, and so, you know, the journey began and, you know, I hadn't seen it. And then, so here's what happens. I hadn't seen my kids in five months. So I get this bright idea after my sponsor said, don't call her. I'm going to walk you through that because you can't just bring that stuff on people that don't understand it. But, you know, it was five o'clock in the evening. Everybody's at home. They're cooking dinner. And I get this bright. I'm going to call my ex and I'm going to tell her, sorry, this is what happened. And I tell her, hey, this is Max. Sorry, you haven't heard from me in five months, but I relapsed. And then let me tell you, Shay, like the exorcist happened on the other end of that phone. I'm talking head spinning, spinning out, making up cuss words. Like I heard things out of her mouth that I've never heard before, right? But what I do remember is her before she slammed the phone was like, you will never, you did it to them and you did it to me. You'll never see these kids as long as I live. And then bam. Mm. And then the house was quiet, right? Like everybody could overhear. So I called my sponsor that night and I said, yeah, I did what you told me not to do. And he's like, you're an idiot. So my first year of sobriety, my nickname was idiot because I stayed sober, but I would just do stupid things, right? Without thinking, right? Mm. And, and that just, you know, even more so propelled me into recovery, right? Like, okay, I'm going to rework my steps because of that first fourth step I did, you know, and, you know, and I understand that people's recovery comes in different forms and fashions. But for me, like I'm a big 12 stepper, they worked for me. But what I realized that first time I did it, like my page was maybe three quarters full, one mm-hmm. page, right? And my sponsor gave me that look like, dude, you just got out of jail, you've been running the street for the last nine years. Right. Like, and you're looking, you have a felony, like you're telling me that this is it. Like, but without saying it, cause I remember looking at him and I was just smiling like, yep, that's it. Right. And so then I understand I was holding on to secrets and stuff. So that's why I probably relapsed. That's why I relapsed. Cause I really fully hadn't just let go of things. Yeah. And so when I did it the second time, like I let that guy have it, like that man, my sponsor knows every deep, dark, uncomfortable cranny that I have. Right. And so I just want to, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your incredible story. First of all, thank you. And second of all, you just said something that I just really want to hone on for our listeners, because I think people, some people don't understand what addiction looks like. And you just said that you were willing to let go of all of the things that happened in the past, right? So as a counselor and your own experience has something happened in your past, probably typically childhood, and the drugs and the alcohol numbs that either it's pain or um, fear or whatever. And that's why it becomes so addictive because you feel so much better, quote unquote. Absolutely. And, and hiding and hiding that uh, fear, that pain, that, that whatever thing that you're trying to hide. Can you kind of elaborate on that? 
so for me, when I really started to get below the surface, right? Because I was a big surface guy, right? Like yeah. I could tell I could be hurting so bad, but I would say I just met Shay. She would think I was the happiest, go luckiest person she ever met, right? But beneath the surface is like all this pain. Yeah. Right. And we talk about PTSD, right? Like it comes in all forms and fa- forms and fashions, right? Yes. So like I'm getting ready to speak next month about that, right? So it's mm-hmm. not just military. Right. Uh, members that experience right PTSD, yep. of course, from their their time in war, but it's people in addiction, and that yes. can, it has many faces, right? Yes. So when I dug deep and I really told God and, and my sponsor, I'll do whatever it's going to take to stay sober. I had to revisit what was making me want, making me not want to feel <laughs> any feelings, right? When, especially yeah. uncomfortable feelings, and that was my mom and dad divorcing at five. So here's an example. So they divorced at five, right? And then I didn't see my dad because his job took him overseas. I would next see him when I was about 10 years old. So five years later, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there might've been quick visits in between, but like, I don't remember because it was so quick, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But the one I do remember was at 10, right? He, he did come back to the States, right? And, and my brother and I got to spend time with him. And so here's my PTSD. That man said, I promise, because it was in February, January, February, right before I turned 11. He says, I promise I'll be back for your birthday. Exact word. I promise I'll be back for your birthday. So March comes, I turn 11. No dad. Mm-hmm. April comes along, right? His birthday is April 10th. No dad. Mm-hmm. And then we get the news that my dad passed away at 55 of a massive heart attack. Wow. Wow. And how I remember, I was angry, right? I don't even remember. I just remember walking away from my cousin after she told me and I walked away, you know, my little brother cried. Right. And I just remember just being so angry. Like how dare you die dad and break that promise to me. Right. Cause as a mm-hmm. little kid, you're just going, you're right. Like, you don't I have understand. my dad back. I don't understand. Yeah. Right. I have my dad back and he promised he'd be here for my birthday. And then this happens. Right. So I held on to that like as tight as I could. And when I did mm-hmm. my step work, I realized that that was one of the resentments that yeah. kept me drinking and using drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Amongst other things, you know, that I experienced in my childhood. Right. And I, and then I came to that point where I realized my dad and my mom did the best they could. Like I really thoroughly worked those steps and I was willing to let go of all that stuff that was keeping me angry, you know, Mm. keeping me sad, keeping me depressed. And I, cause I did, like I said, that last day when I used, I told God, I said, if you keep me sober, I promise I will stay sober. If you get me sober, I Mm -hmm. will stay sober. I'll do whatever you want. And that was the work I had to do. Cause I realized when my sponsor was telling you, he goes, like, he would never push me, like say, you have to tell me every secret, Mm -hmm. right? He left that up to me. He right. was he was my first example of a guide of someone who's going to mm-hmm. keep someone sober, right? Because he never yeah. got mad at me. He never, you know, told me I had to do certain things. He'd always let me have my journey, but then always would let me have it, right? And it was always a gentle way. And it was always yeah. like, Max, he'd go, Max, how'd that work for you? Right. I hated that. Like, oh. right. You know what I mean? So I'm going to yeah. never want to hear that again. So I'm going to do what he tells me. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was one of the moment defining moments for me to like, I'm going to stay sober. Right. I got to let go of this anger I have towards my mom. I got mm. it wasn't their fault. You know what I mean? They did the best they, they could with what they knew how. Exactly. 
Yeah. And you know what I mean? And my mom did the best she could. She wasn't keeping us from her, my dad, right? She just didn't want us traveling all over the world because she wanted us to have roots here in America, right? Right. And I got it, right? Because there was part of me that will go, well, this is your fault, mom. Like, why wouldn't you just follow dad? Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, why wouldn't you? You know, and other things would happen because as I was growing up, I'd hear family members from my dad's side, right? Say, oh, yeah. Even family members from my mom's side that would go, your dad is so cool. He taught me this. He did Aww. this. You know, and yeah, I remember like when my addiction was getting to the point where it was about to escalate. Mm-hmm. I had that conversation with my cousin and he was telling me how cool my dad was. And I mm-hmm. remember, and I'd never done this until that point. It was like, I told him, if you don't stop, I, I literally told him, I said, I'm going to beat your ass. I go, I don't want to hear about how cool my dad was. Yeah. For you. Where was he for me and my little brother growing up? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me like, holy mo-. you know, I was yeah. angry. You right. know, and this was before I knew how to really deal with it. I mean, we're good now. Me and my cousin, I made amends to him, you know, and, and, you know, we're good. But like, I look back now in my journey in recovery and there was a lot of things I had to uncover to, to let go, like to address it and then go, okay, God, here you go. It's all yours. Cause I don't want to go backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm learning that now with almost 18 years, there's still things that I've learned recently of my childhood that were holding me back that were like, I had to let go of that block. Uh, For instance, one of them was over working with my uncle one time. And instead of doing the math problem in my head, like we were at the swap meet, right. And I was selling Mm -hmm. something for him. I had to break out the calculator. Mm. Well, him between him and my mom, I got shamed for that. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you got to use a cow, you know? And then he told my mom and then my mom got on me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I held on to that really tight. Like, how dare you? Like, mm-hmm. and then I realized like I had to let that go. Right. Cause mm-hmm. my mom, you whatever, you know, I ended up going to college and getting my degree and passing a statistics class. So I had to tell myself over and over again, I am good at math instead right. of I suck at math. Right. Right. I, you know what I mean? And yeah. keep staying stuck. So those are some of the examples I have. And, you know, it got better as, as the journey went on, but I'll kind of fast forward, you know, where some of my toughest challenges that have been in recovery and five years ago, it would start. Right. So three days after I turned 13 years sober, my sister would pass a Parkinson's, which, you know, with and how long she had suffered, we were kind of okay with it because she died in her sleep. Right. But still, she wow. was, that was my sister, you know, so yeah. You know, probably of all my siblings, I was the closest with. Like, she was like sister slash mom figure to me, mm-hmm. right? And she always had my back. Even when I was messing up, right? She'd always give me that hug and say, you know, you can do better. And, you know, not, not look at me with, like, disgust and go, you're doing that shit again. You know what I mean? Mm, right. And then uh, eight months later, my brother would commit suicide mm. and lose his battle to addiction. Mm. And then six months to the day... On Thanksgiving Day, my mom would pass, literally, Shay, of a broken heart. And then mm-hmm. that following Monday, I would put my daughter into substance abuse treatment. Wow. Right? And then as recently as two years ago, my we lost our granddaughter at three months and a day old. Mm-hmm. And then a week later, on my way to work, my son at 30 would have a massive stroke due to his drug addiction and poor choices. You know what I mean? And that's why I share with people, I go, you know, you can stay sober through anything. And and those are the events that taught me that I didn't even think about using, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about using at those times. 
but it was a struggle, right? Like I wanted to, you know, beat somebody up. Like, how dare you, God, do this to me? But then I always said, well, thank you, God. You know, you showed me I have the strength to get through anything. And and that's where I am, you know, today. I'm sitting here with you today. You know, I, I've made a, a great friend in Shay. We connect on so many levels, but, you know, it taught me like, if I would have went backwards, I wouldn't be sitting here with you, right? Or right. maybe if, if they sent me to prison, would I be sitting here with Shay? So I knew there was a plan that, I didn't know about that was greater than me. And and I get to sit here with Shay today and and talk about my journey, which is kind of cool. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. It brings tears to my eyes because, you know, we, we're, we're literally best friends immediately from the day we met because we're just kindred spirits. And so, you know, you just talked about so many things that I kind of want to just rehash really quickly is you know, you talked about the shame and we've talked about anger and now you've added loss. And so I'm just going to say that those are probably three of the major things that we experience, especially in childhood that we want to hide. And that's what we hide with our addiction. And our addiction can be anything from drugs and alcohol to gambling, shopping, Netflix, you know, social media, (laughs) exactly. You know, whatever, whatever, right? Like sports, you know, let's focus, hyper focus on something completely other than feeling the feelings. And I am right there with you. I mean, I lost my, my, well, first of all, five years ago, no, six years ago, I think. Gosh, it, it just flies by six years ago. My business partner's son died. And then I was told, and he was 16, 17 on the track field. And he was, uh, just got diagnosed with a heart condition the day before. Wow. And then three, not even three weeks, two and a half weeks later, I was told I couldn't have children. And one week, not even, I think it was five days. My mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then she, a year, 14 months later, she passes away. A week later, my stepsister passes away. A month later, on her birthday, my dad was diagnosed with his first cancer. My uncle dies. Another friend's son commits suicide. And a year later, so two years after my dad passed, or after my mom, my dad passes away. And then two years after my dad was my brother last year. It's so hard let alone when you want to hide the grief, when you want to hide the, the, the pain, the anger, the, the, the everything, right? And doing it sober adds just a whole nother layer to, to doing, ah. to living life, to, th- to continuing to thrive, even right. though you're going, experiencing such pain. And, and I just want our listeners to know that, you know, our childhood people are like, Oh, I don't want to go back to childhood and talk about those things. Those are over and done with why rehash the past. Well, let me just say that not, there are amazing people out there who had great childhoods, right? And there are amazing people out there who had horrible childhoods. It's really about being able to not get overwhelmed in the misery. I will call it of the, of the crap that happened to us. 
Right. It wasn't a choice. And that's where I think as adults, we don't understand. We forget. Right. Like when we think about the things that happened to us as a kid, it was like, what was my, well, how do, why did that happen to me? Or, you know, how could I let that happen to me? And the reality, how could I let that happen to me? And the reality is, is unfortunately there's no control over something that happens to you. So now as an adult, which is what you're Max doing so beautifully is you're using it to say what happened for you. Absolutely. Right. And I get that because that's why I think, like you said, we can connect it on so many different levels. Right. I didn't understand that in the beginning. Like, you know, it, and I'll just use a quote from some of the meetings I've been to, right? It says, sometimes it's in the big book, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, right? I'm always on that slowly side. It just takes me a little bit longer to figure out, but I like it that way, right? Because I yeah. really get to think about like life didn't happen to me, right? Because if I think about it, I didn't really have a bad childhood, right? I, yes, I had a single mother who worked her butt off to make sure that my brother and I were provided for, you know, three square meals a day, clothes on our back a nice home to live and sleep in. You know what I mean? Like, like I can't tell anybody, Oh yeah. You know, I got abused. You know, that didn't happen. My mom was strict. Yeah. I've had wooden spoons broken over my butt when I was little, (laughs) but that was her way of right. And you know, she wasn't the most affectionate person growing up until later when she got older, you know, then she Mm -hmm. was like, I love you, you know, and like here, for instance, one of the greatest gifts I've ever given. And it might make me cry because I always remember it, but it was about two weeks before she passed. We we're sitting because every Monday was my Monday. I would spend the night with her at her assisted living and you know, make sure she ate, make sure we watched whatever she wanted. I made sure it happened. So we we're sitting on the couch, you know, watching TV together. And, you know, next thing I feel like this pat on my leg. And then she looks at me and she goes, I just want to thank you. I had just turned 14, right? You're sober. But she looked at me and she goes, I want to thank you for 13 years of your sobriety. You know, God answered my prayers and yeah, I I get the same way. And I just looked at her like, wow, she noticed, you know what I mean? And she's like, you know, and, and the greatest gift I think I gave her was, and I share about it when I speak at an AA meeting is like, you know, the best present I ever gave my mom was that for say, if I was speaking, I would say 17 years. And if she was alive, I said, my mom could actually put her head on a pillow and go to sleep and not worry about where her son was. You know what I mean? So when she did that to me, like I started crying. She's like, what are you crying for? My mom was a tough cookie, but like sometimes she showed herself side and she goes just, and she kept patting, you know, God answered my prayers. You know, I never stopped praying for you. And I was just like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and cause there's addiction that, you know, my oldest brother is going to celebrate this December 38 years clean and sober. You know, my brother had at one point before he took his own life, eight years sober and it brought us back together as, you know, brothers and, you know, but that was, yeah, it, it's, you know, that's why I say I got like, if I have people that I've counseled before clients, right. And they'll come, Oh, you know, you saved my life. And, you know, thank you. Like I have one vet, for instance, who like was pretty, pretty addicted to the fentanyl and the heroin and you know what I mean? And that total PTSD. So when he turned two, he called me and or texted me and he said, Hey, Max, he goes, I got to thank you for, for pushing me to do that EMDR therapy. And I said, well, 
I kind of guided you. You you took the action. He goes, no, you pushed me in a way that was not like you weren't being a jerk. But he goes, mm. I just want to say thank you because I can sleep at night now. Yes. Right. You know, and I get, you know, I have one client that that texted me at two years and just got his private license, pilot's license. Right. And now he's working on his commercial license to fly planes, you know, and it, it may not be a lot of those, but those are the ones that keep me going. You know, the ones I just had another client on Facebook said, you know, it wasn't for Max. I wouldn't have three years sober, you know, and, and I really can't take the credit. I just guided them. You know, I just pushed them in the way they wanted to go and, and they did the work, you know, and, and I, I'm glad God has put me in this position to help others. So, you know, if I can help, I always, you know, I never try to refuse anybody that, that needs the help. It's like your mom is saying it over and over again every time. Thank you for your 13 years. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your years of sobriety. That's beautiful. I had a similar thing two weeks, actually, two weeks before my mom passed away. My parents weren't emotionally available. And like you had mentioned before, they only knew what they knew, right? They yeah. they didn't have tools, they didn't have skills, they didn't have books to read. Nobody went to therapy, you know. They <laughs> nobody went. Exactly. They didn't have the YouTube or you know right. conferences. None of none of the things we have today. And you know, they just didn't know how to love. To be honest, they didn't know how to love. And truthfully, I don't think they knew how to love themselves. And both of my parents, two weeks before they died, weirdly, my mom said. What am I going to do without you? And my dad said, I don't know what I would have do without you. And they were divorced. So then neither one of them said, knew they said that. But to me, that was their, my thank you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all we need in life to encourage us to keep going is thank you for putting in the work. So you've inspired me to put in the work. And that's what, that's what's, what's happening. That's what you're doing. You're, you're making everything that you've gone through have what's happening for you. Right. Cause I'm like you, I'm on that same page. I believe life happens for me, good, mm-hmm. bad, or indifferent. It's mm-hmm. lessons that I, you know, as my sponsor would say, you're being too stubborn. So if you don't learn this lesson, it's going to keep showing up. Or, you know, some of the people that are outside my recovery that are my coaches or mentors or friends, that say, Max, like until you learn this lesson, it's going to keep showing up. It might show up differently, but it's going to. And I realize that. So I realize that life happens for me. Right. And, yeah. and it's brought like wonderful people like you in my life that we can share our stories and and ultimately help others, you know, achieve their goals and dreams and, and show them how we did it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that our time is coming to an end, which as you can tell, we could talk for hours and days and (laughs) and hours and days and hours and days. Yeah. So where can people connect with you? Social media, um, your website, your book, where can they buy your book and where can they listen to your podcast? All right. So you can reach me. I have a landing page, which I'll have many more to come. I'll hopefully get my website back because of powers outside of me, things have happened, but you know, that's, that's that thing. It says like, I think it was one of those lessons. How are you going to like learn? Right. So Mm -hmm. I just put it out there. So you can reach me at maxnace.com, all lowercase M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T.com. You can reach me on Facebook, Max Nace. I'm on Twitter, which I don't do that much of, but I'm on Twitter, definitely LinkedIn. 
you know, it has me as Max Nace, the Fearless Happiness Ninja, which my friend gave me that nickname. <laughs> and my podcast is called the Fearless Happiness Podcast. You can reach me on all the platforms, uh, but definitely iTunes and Spotify. I release a new episode every week and wait till Shays. You're going to enjoy Shays when it comes out shortly here. And what else? Yeah. Facebook, you know, you can message me on Facebook. Yeah. I think that that's it for us. Pretty much all the basic, you know, all the social media platforms. And I just want to say that NAST sounds like taste, but it is spelled <laughs> N-I-J-S-T. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Even though it sounds like it, don't spell it that way. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Max, it has just been an honor, privilege to have you here. Just to, your energy just exudes from you. And so I just love love our, our talk. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Honor's all mine. And before you go, I like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Something that I came up with, and I think it's probably because I've seen it somewhere else, but what I live by is that you have everything you need to be great today. And that is true. You know, and I tell myself that in the mirror because, you know, it's old ways of thinking can slip in. So I will tell myself, you know, as well as I tell other people is that you have everything you need to be great today. And you do. Exactly. So do you. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Max. I appreciate it. Thank you. And and thank you for listening to the power of investing in people with Shay Sparks. If you enjoyed our podcast, because I know you did. I mean, Max told some amazing stories. You may even brought some tears to your eyes. You may even took some notes. So if you did, please go over to Apple podcast and give us a five-star review until next time. Let's get fired up. There is power in sharing your voice of experience. That power gets even stronger when you are surrounded by others who are also fired up. Like Chief Master Sergeant Joe Bogdan, who said his experience in the hashtag Firestarters book project has been nothing short of amazing. For him being a first-time author, he loved our supportive approach and we earned his trust immediately. You are invited to see his chapter along with our other leaders in our co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters Book Project. Together, we are a collection of creative thought leaders who are the change that we want to see in this world. I know that the lessons that you have learned from your leadership experience will inspire and empower others to take fearless action. Because let's face it, empowered people empower people. When we share the lessons learned by overcoming our obstacles, we ignite a tiny spark of hope, love, connection, and community in other people. And when we ignite that spark, the whole world lights up. We have created a community of leaders who want to collaborate, use their voice by writing their chapter, 
and join a change movement with other creative thought leaders. When you're ready for more details and to schedule your consultation to join the movement, go to firestartersbookproject.com.